With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. Uh, it is September 6th. Uh, today, I'm joined by Jason Longshore of SoccerDownHere.net and 92.9 to review last night's 1-1 draw between Atlanta United and Orlando City. It was a tale of two halves. Orlando City dominated Atlanta United in the first half, uh, but could only come up with one goal, mostly because of numerous last-ditch tackles made by George Bello, Anton Walks, Miles Robinson, and Franco Escobar. And then Atlanta United started to get a little bit of a grip of the game in the second half, got slightly lucky on a Nani free kick, uh, followed by a heads-up play by Emerson Hyman, until Jake Mulraney floated in across that Adam Yon, uh, headed down and into the goal in the second minute of stoppage time. Uh, to secure what could end up being, I think, an extremely valuable point and an extremely big confidence booster for this team going into its next two games at Miami on Wednesday and at Nashville on Saturday. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Jason, where can people find you before we start talking about the game? Um, I am at Longshoe on social media channels, and you can follow Soccer Down Here at Soccer Down Here. So if you had to sum up last night's game in just a couple of words, what, what would those words be? Oh, wow. Um, huh. Gritty in a lot of ways because it, it never really – got going and look we've had this conversation many times uh for months now it seems like it just didn't click in the final third it was too slow it was too ponderous but they kept going and they kept pushing and the substitutions brought new life to it uh gritty on the defensive side too i mean you mentioned it with the the last ditch tackles that escobar and Robinson and Walks and Bello had it kept Atlanta in the game. Gritty from Emerson Hindman. I'm glad he was recognized for for that clearance because that kept the game alive. But it also feels like it could be that mood changer that that this team needs because you know you know I know everybody who who's been around sports knows that sometimes it's the the strangest little things that can change the trajectory of a season. And when they come like this, it's a, you know, a stoppage time goal, but it's not against and no offense to Colorado or Vancouver or, or any other random team in MLS. It comes against a team that 
you don't want to lose to a team that has a little bit of an extra feeling here and a team that still hasn't beat you in their home park that adds a little extra to it and it could be that vibe changer that this team needs now you've got to build on it on Wednesday or it fades away but it's an opportunity to change the trajectory of where this thing's going right now yeah it, it it's going to depend changing that trajectory is going to depend in my opinion on a couple of things um I think glass has got to finally bite the bullet and start some guys that he hasn't really wanted to start or hasn't started for whatever reason the past couple of games. Uh, guys like Mulraney, guys like Jurgen Dom, guys who have speed and width on the outside that can stretch defenses because that's when the offense finally started to kind of click last night is when those guys came onto the pitch. Um, and he mentioned again last night the possibility of playing uh, Adam Yon uh, together with Eric Torres, which I, I thought they would do that for this Orlando game. Um, and they, they obviously didn't. They started Torres up top uh, by himself. Um, but, but I think that is going to be worth exploring because, you know, the first half again on offense, it was just abysmal. Um, they just, nobody could do anything. Barco was, was – either getting fouled or turning over the ball. Uh, that was his contribution, unfortunately. He had that great free kick, but it was right at, at uh, Pedro Galiz. Um, something's got to change uh, if they want to start threatening defenses and putting themselves in positions to win. Yeah, the movement's got to change off the ball. That, that's the biggest thing that stood out to me here. And I, I'm – Another element of the confidence changing, I hope, coming out of this is those defensive plays. Because, look, I, I think, you know, we see this the way that Atlanta United wants to play, the way we've seen them play in the past, the way we see teams that dominate possession play. You're going to get numbers forward. You're going to take chances in the attacking half. And you're going to have turnovers because you're going to have more of the ball. You can't play f scared of that fact. And you can't play scared of the fact that your, your back line is going to be in 1v1 situations at times. You have to have the trust in them that they can solve those problems when they arise. Last night, they did. They did. The goal that Orlando gets is off of a set piece, which is a whole other conversation of yeah. an issue <laughs> defensively. Uh, it's a little fortunate with a shot that's going wide that finds Benji Michelle. But in those moments where the play did break down, and it's an opportunity for Orlando to break. George Bello with big tackles, Franco Escobar with big tackles. And that has to give you the confidence to get more numbers forward and to make that run off the ball to try to get in behind, to try to stretch the field. Because the problem that I'm seeing on the ball in the attacking half and heading into the final third is the field isn't stretched and the movement isn't there. There were so many times that players had the ball dribbling forward, looking for options, scanning for something, and there wasn't an option. There was nowhere to play. The only play was to, was to play back because there was nobody else to play to. Got to play with a little more reckless abandon in that because you have to trust this back line who has been far better than they get credit for. Yeah, the first half, just the first half, Bello. Escobar, Walks, and Robinson had nine tackles. Yeah. Which is typically more than you'll see in a game from them. They finished with 11 tackles. 
to show you the difference in the two halves in terms yeah. of structure and everything. Um, yeah, but you're right about the offense. It's, it's something with that particularly personnel grouping, it's either a lack of chemistry or it's a lack of understanding of the tactics or, or something. But when they get the ball, it's just, it's the same thing as Miami. It's the same thing as Orlando. It's really the same thing since the MLS tournament, they get into that final third and it, there's nobody to pass to. There are no runs being made there, you know, dumb decisions being made sometimes uh, just to be blunt. Um, I, I'm really curious to see if with Escobar being out now on um, for Wednesday's game because of yellow card accumulation, his second suspension in 10 games, uh, which is just bizarre. Um, if we see Lennon playing fullback, he's got to get a break at some point. Or if you're going to see the team try uh, like a 3-5-2, which is a formation that they used a lot under Tata, uh, to get John and, uh, and Torres together up top, to kind of have those three center backs so that they do want to put some numbers forward, they do have a core back there that can break up a counterattack, um, depending upon who the defensive midfielder is. Um, yeah, that lineup's going to be interesting on Wednesday because of the Escobar suspension, because of George Bellow came off after it looked like he took a knock. Um, we'll see how he responds. Miles Robinson came off early in the second half. We know there were some fitness questions with him at the beginning of this run of games. It looked like he might have taken a knock. Uh, Daryl DK was a handful for the He's very impressive. I, I, I said is. the other day, I wasn't sure if he's as athletic as Zardes, but I think he's technically much better than Zardes, particularly with more, his hold-up play. I think he might be more athletic than Jossie Zardes, to be honest. Um, I think the movement off the ball is what Oscar Pereja has really worked with him on. And I saw him play in college, and I thought he was very raw, and he was going to take a little bit of time at the pro level because of everything without the ball. But he's picking that up quickly, and, and what he gives that team – I think we saw it in the first half multiple times. His pressure, he closes ground so fast. His pressure, he makes it difficult for teams to play out of the back. And Atlanta had problems. This was one of the first times really all season that we've seen a press disrupt Atlanta's buildup play because the passing percentage was, I think, 76% in the first half. Yeah, it was usually around 84. Yeah. Um, even against the Red Bulls in the MLS's back tournament, you didn't have those kinds of numbers. This was the first time it was disruptive, and I was really surprised, and I think a lot of it has to do with the amount of games that teams are playing right now. Orlando dropped off in the second half. Now, Atlanta came out to start the second half really strong and had a couple of chances immediately in the, the beginning of the second half, and then it felt like they hit a wall. Orlando was content with the game where it was. They didn't put as much pressure on in the second half. It came back to bite them at the end, that's something that Perea is going to have to sort out for them going forward, how to close games out. Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, to be fair, Atlanta United wasn't creating a whole lot. They had that chance in the first minute of the second half uh, that, that was wasted. Um, and then he did put on Nani. I did think he was trying to get something on the counter, um, and they just it never really happened. They're not built to play that way. Yeah, they're, they're not built to play in that manner very well. Um, He's done this consistently where he's went to, to a line of five at the end of matches. And 
is if it's down to personnel, if it's just down to, to a team not really being able to close games out yet, could be down to, to fitness issues here too because they're not the deepest of, of squads. It's, it's going to come back to be an issue for Orlando. He'll solve it in time, but it helped Atlanta in this one because I felt like the second half, you got a spark early, you had a couple chances, then you hit a wall 55th, 60th minute, and when the subs started to come, it felt like the last 15, there was a noticeable uptick. And you started to see more just not literal chances created from goal scoring chances, but just more chances taken going forward. You started to see more numbers go forward, more risk taking, which you're going to have to start seeing more for this team to create those opportunities. Yeah. And, and to be fair, this is not a problem um, under Stephen Glass. It's, it, uh, it was a problem under DeBoer. Sometimes it was a problem under Tata, slow starts uh, for this team. Um, So I I don't know what it is about this team and slow starts, but it's been a problem that now three different managers have tried to figure out, uh, some successfully and some are still learning on the job. uh, I'm really curious to see how Orlando is going to respond in its next game because this could be – it's not the same as dropping all the points. Uh, but this could be a deflating loss. And Orlando hasn't really shown uh, in the past under different managers that it can be mentally tough in a season. I think it's good for them that they have the whole week here to recover from it because this will take an emotional toll. I mean, again, this is a game that is not your run-of-the-mill regular season match. There's a little more feeling to it. So it's going to take a little bit of a toll. But I think when you heard the comments that Oscar Pereja had last night, he knows how to manage a group and manage their emotions better than any manager Orlando City's ever had. I mean, they call him Poppy for a reason. Like, he is a father figure to these, these guys. And he said something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing, about how, you know, he's given the boys a lot of credit all season long, and he's not going to do that in a moment that was a down moment for them. He's not going to take that credit away. He, he's going to build them back up, and they'll be fine. I think, you know, they'll have another – game that has meaning to them with Miami next weekend and we'll see how that goes but that extra amount of time first to rest and also just to kind of push this out of mind I think they'll end up being okay let's go back to set piece goals uh Orlando again scored against Atlanta United on a set piece goal it again should have had at least one more there were three players left unmarked on one play Uh, again Eric Rometty just kind of caught flat-footed not on the goal, but on the one they should have scored. He and Barco were caught flat-footed watching three Orlando players just run right past them. Uh, but the shot was not put on frame. Um, Steven Glass thought that they had this worked out. Um, it said it's basically just a matter of, of poor man-marking. This was in the interviews before this game. But obviously, there are still some serious issues with this team in set-piece defending. There's only so much – you can do. I mean, you can drill it, and you can drill it, and you can keep doing it, and you can practice it. But, you know, set pieces in those moments, it's down to the individuals doing their job and having that focus to defend and to not let players get free. It's down to, you know, whoever's task it is to organize, whether it's one of the center backs, whether it's Brad Gazan, you know, whether it's a collection. Like, it feels disorganized and it feels like whenever a team makes a late run into the 18, they're not picked up. And these are things that are just down to focus on, on the day in the moment. There's only so much because, you know, as we've talked about from the run of play, you know, in the limited amount of training time that that Steven glass has with this group, 
you've got to focus on the run of play as well, a lot. And you've got to try to find ways to improve that. So set pieces are going to be secondary to that right now because they're minimal, but you can keep pointing out the problems. It's just down to the moments in the games. And that's what's so surprising about it is you have players who you feel like should know better in these moments and should be locked in and, and have that focus that's needed on a set piece. They can't drop their focus on restarts. Now, especially when you're struggling to score goals, you can't give yeah. up a goal on a set piece. So that's just, absolutely. That's almost like giving up two goals. Um, as bad as that is. Uh, Chris Mueller uh, becoming one of my favorite players to watch in major league soccer. I thought he had a fantastic game uh, for Orlando. I thought Brooks Lennon, his counterpart for Atlanta United. I thought he had another solid game. He had two more crosses that probably should have been goals. Uh, one to Torres again and another to uh, Adajan. Mm-hmm. Um, he just couldn't get any power on his header. Um, but it's been fun to watch those guys this season. Yeah, Lennon has been the stalwart of this team this season. I mean, he he's – constantly up for the task you never see his energy levels drop it seems like and that crossing that service has gotten better and that was really my only criticism you know at different points earlier in the year was it felt like he was consistently overhitting crosses and you know he's a player who feels like he is going 100 miles an hour constantly and at times, especially in that delivery, it's like you need to take the foot off the gas a little bit. <laughs> Slow down just a little bit. Get the head up. Pick out the pass rather than, than hit it in there as quickly and as fast as possible because they're, they're constantly being overhit. He's had in the last couple of matches really good service. Yeah. The defensive work is always really strong. And when he's a right winger, you know you're going to get that tracking back that you need right now to protect this team in, in transition moments. When he's a right back, you know he can get forward and contribute to the attack. I thought Lennon and Dom were starting to build a little bit of chemistry late in that match, too. And that was good to see some interplay with the two of them. Yeah, I'm with the, you on Mueller, too. He's he's great player, fun to watch. In the past three games, Lennon should have at least one goal, possibly two, and four assists. Yeah. Uh, just to give an example of, of what he's doing right now. Eric Torres missed another opportunity, but – I don't really worry. I, I I don't really worry about it that much. Uh, I know Atlanta United is struggling to score, but the fact that he's getting in these positions, I think, is the important thing. He's, I think, a quality enough player that the more this happens, he is going to start putting them in. Uh, Joseph Martinez didn't score on every opportunity uh, yeah. he had. It just seemed like it, uh, but he didn't. He's a streaky forward, and it feels like when he gets one, it'll kind of take the lid off a little bit. But I was really happy with his performance in this one because I thought at times against Miami he struggled to keep the ball up top in moments where he needed to relieve some pressure and be able to hold the ball up and play somebody his his control was poor you know bad touches ended up you know going to Miami to give them opportunities to counter the other way that was better tonight or last night the movement was better I, I thought Kubo was better in this one for sure he had a bad miss Every striker has bad misses. It happens. Barco, I thought, struggled again. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think there's anything to these rumors of uh, Sevilla wanting him right now. Um, so I don't think that is a factor at all. People were speculating on that on Twitter last night. Um, I can see him, you know, 
being out of sorts with no pitching anymore. Joseph's not on the field, but at some point he's got to, he's got to find himself because right now he, he's just not bringing a whole lot to the table. He's got to have somebody to play with. I think um, he's got to have somebody to combine with because he was the one that I felt like a lot of times when he turned and beat one defender and started to run into the attacking half, there was nothing in front of him. There, there was nothing to play to. And I think he got frustrated. I think he got frustrated by being fouled. I don't know what the final count ended up being. I know it was six at one point. It got pretty high. And there were a couple uh, – there was one for Mendez in the first half that I thought was pretty horrendous yeah. and, and didn't even see a card. Six times he was fouled. Six times. It ended up at six. Uh, I, I think he gets frustrated when the game gets like that. And he's, that's something he's got to grow out of. It, it is because he's going to get targeted. Um, he's a very good dribbler. You want him on the ball as much as possible, but he is going to get hit and he's going to get hit a lot. And it's something that is a, a frustrating thing for me when, and I, I think you see it a lot now with Atlanta United players and referees because Look, Atlanta's been fouled more than any team in the league. They're being fouled a whole lot more this year than they ever have in their the team's history. And that's fine. That's what teams with a lot of possession, that's what happens to them. They have a lot more of the ball. They're going to get fouled more. That's just part of the game. But when Atlanta's getting those yellow cards for breaking up plays, the tactical fouls, if you will, and the play from Mendez in the first half, which is far more than a tactical foul. I mean, he goes in straight leg, studs up, um, didn't connect with that leg, luckily, but it's a, a nasty, potentially dangerous challenge that it has to be punished. It has to be punished. And, you know, it's something that Barco is going to have to learn to play through. This happened to him in Argentina, too. This is not new. I mean, the Argentine League has these kinds of challenges as well. But for players like him, he has to get to that point that I think, you know, you think back to players of this ilk, like a Raquel May, who was not the fastest dribbler but he would beat people on the dribble consistently and then just get hauled down and get fouled it's like he got to a point to where he could figure out i'm gonna get hit here i need to protect myself and i'm gonna dust myself off and hop back up and take a quick free kick and we're gonna keep going i think barco right now is still getting frustrated in those moments and it's just something he's gonna have to learn to deal with one of the things that he did at the start of last season when he was playing so well is he would st- he would stay on his feet when he was getting fouled and keep going. He wouldn't just hit the ground. Um, I'm not out there. I'm not the one suffering these fouls, so I don't know how many of them he can fight through uh, and keep going. But yeah. I think that he's got to start. So, some of them were flops, um, and you know everybody There's does. One so that that's not. Last night. That's not. You know, but staying on his feet a little bit more would probably help him and go a long way because not only is that defender now out of the play because he's likely on the ground. But uh, the, other, the defenders on the other team have frozen while they're waiting on the referee to make the call or decide advantage, and it can help Atlanta United. But again, I'm not the one getting fouled, so that's very easy for me to say. Yeah, yeah, it's easy to say for us not on the field getting hit like that. But, uh, I, you know, if you're looking at it from the outside, if you're looking at it from Barco's perspective here, Look, as much as I like Chris Mueller, I mean, Chris Mueller's found out how to go down easily and earn a free kick. He, he knows how to play that game. And he gets those free kicks. And he's, he got multiple of them last night with very light contact going down, getting the free kick, and then getting up and complaining. The same things that we've seen Ezekiel Barco do during his time in Atlanta. 
he doesn't get as many free kicks in that situation. He doesn't. And I'm sorry, but Chris Mueller getting the respect from referees in those moments and Ezekiel Barco not, something wrong with that. And it's something that does need to change. It's frustrating. And I'm, I'm sure it gets in his head at times. You just have to find a way to play through it because you can't change the referee in mid-match. Yeah, Mueller was fouled four times last yeah. night. And, again, I think part of it is the flops. Uh, you know, the referees get tired of seeing the flops. And so the benefit of the doubt, you're not going to be given um, with regard to Barco. That's not how the game should be called. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, uh, let's see. Bello had a good game, I thought, last night. Didn't really get a, do much going forward. Uh, did try to take his man on on the dribble one time, which was good to see. It wasn't successful. Uh, but defensively, he more than held, held his own. Escobar, his yellow card, which resulted in his suspension, that was just a dumb, dumb foul, in my opinion. The guy was yeah. already by him, and he just hacked at him with his, with his foot. When there, were, there were defenders behind him, too. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just not a good foul. But when Escobar moved to center back, I thought he looked oh, much, much better. Um, he should. Atlanta United has a glut of center back, so he's not going to play there unless they go back to a, a 3-5-2. Right. Uh, Miles we Robinson. Seen, we had not seen Escobar play as a center back in a line of four. We had seen him play in, a, in the line in the three center back setup. See, I can not, swear that he's done it at least once, but I can't it remember. Did, it would have been a situation like this one where it was an in-game move. He hasn't yeah. started in that role. Um, it it might have been once. Uh, he was – really composed as a center back there with Anton walks. I was really impressed. And after that yellow, I was a little worried that the, uh, the engine overheating Franco Escobar that we've seen at times might be coming to, to play in Orlando, but it didn't happen. He, he managed the rest of the match out and was really good in the moment when Robinson went out. Robinson. Um, I don't know if it was the heat or what he, I thought he struggled with well, DK, obviously struggling with DK. Yeah. Um, the the I thought dangerous passes he played against Miami. Uh, he had a few turnovers against Orlando on simpler passes. Anton Walks I thought had another solid game. I'm gonna be curious what Glass is gonna do when Fernando Meza is healthy. Uh, Lorena doesn't have to rush him back in right now. No, he, he doesn't because Walks is playing really really well. Walks should keep his spot. Lorenowitz I thought had a typical Lorenowitz game. Kind of quiet, some crunching tackles. Um, but I think it's, it's noteworthy that he comes in and Orlando only scores one goal because um, I've wondered why he hasn't started the past few games. Eric Rometty just does not play well defensively against Orlando, and I thought that kind of continued uh, for the most part uh, last night. Had some bad um, giveaways too. Yeah, yeah. Brooks Lennon, we talked about Brooks Lennon already. Barco, we talked about Barco. Hyman, I, I tweeted before the game he's got to get forward if the offense is going to do anything. I don't really remember him doing much going forward. It was his goal line clearance off that 90 free kick, which gave Atlanta United a chance to get the draw. Jurgen Dom came on. on. on Heinemann. It was really interesting because I kind of felt the same way when I was watching it. I was like, there's not a lot here. Um, he was, I think, better than maybe we give him a little bit of credit for in his overall contribution. He didn't get forward enough in that role. And this is something that I think Steven Glass is going to have to sort out with the midfield with three of the holding midfielders or, or eights, if you want to go box-to-box midfielders with them, rather than two and a true number 10. One of them has to give you something going forward. I, I thought Hosetu, who really came on and was out wide, gave you more of that than Heinemann did. But in the 
the box-to-box play, Heinemann's passing was very, very good. His defensive work was very good. He contributed in a lot of phases of play, but maybe not the phase that we thought he would be contributing in. And I think there is still that question of what is the best role for Emerson Heinemann? You know, is it as a number 10 or is it as an attacking box-to-box midfielder? I'm kind of leaning to the latter, but then how can you structure the rest of the team to get enough going forward to make that work? I don't know yet. Uh, Jurgen Dahm uh, came on, saw one uh, line-splitting pass. I can't remember if it was Josetu or Heinemann or who hit it. Uh, between two Orlando City defenders for, for Dom to run onto. That's exactly what he's there for. In my opinion, one of the things that Lenny United needs. Um, so, and he created a chance uh, in his few minutes. He looked uh, more comfortable physically, too. He looked more willing to, to make that run, to go. And, and I think some of that is just, I mean, the guys barely played this season in 2020 in the calendar year. So, it's knocking that rust off, but I'm with you at this point. I would think his fitness is good enough to get the start on Wednesday. Um, if not Wednesday, it's got to be Saturday. And again, you got five subs, so you can yeah. burn one if he can only give you 60 minutes and you're going to yeah. be okay. I think he can get you to 45 now by this point. From what we've seen, um, as long as he bounces back from this one good, I think he could play 45 at a minimum on Wednesday. And with the other absences and with Lennon going to right back, which is what we would expect here, I think you're going to really need 45 out of Jurgen Dom on Wednesday. He actually had 21 touches, uh, which shocks me a little bit. And Azetu only had 12. It seems like those numbers should be flipped. Um, what else do we have? Well, Jake Mulraney obviously got his – I think that was his first Major League Soccer assist uh, last night. A fantastic ball to Adam uh, John, who we'll talk about here more in a second. Eric Torres we've spoken about. Uh, Gallagher came on his near post run. Uh, pulled the defender with him, uh, maybe the defender that could have got up and cut out that cross uh, on the game-tying goal. Smart run by, by Gallagher. Um, Adam Yon, this is one of the few times this season in which he's been on the field in which somebody actually played the type of ball that he needs to be successful. Um, I've, you know, people have been banging on him on Twitter all season, and I keep trying to remind people that the times he's been in, Atlanta United has not played to his strengths, which is the high, either early cross or late cross. But it's got to be high. It's got to be, you know, six to eight yards away from the goal. Um, and he finally got one, and he took advantage. Yeah, you know what I'm going to look at in this game? I mean, I think the goal is the easiest one. But when he came on, he immediately pressured Pedro Galese into a giveaway. And he gave you some different energy. Kubo Torres was running on fumes at this point. It was a lot of minutes for him in the last two. John comes in, and he's worked hard consistently in his time here in Atlanta. He has made the runs. He's made a lot of runs off the ball that haven't been rewarded, opening up space for others. He's put in that pressure work up top. He's put in the defensive work that he's had to. He hasn't seen much service. I mean, this is the only game that he's had more than one shot. He had two here, right. the cross from Lennon and then the cross from Mulraney. It was good to see him getting that service. It's good to see him getting the reward for the work. And now, you know, if you can keep feeding him, because look, these things are contagious. You know, you see it all the time with teams around the world where you're struggling. You can't find a way to get a goal. You get one this way. 
do we want to see Atlanta United long-term become a team that just pumps crosses into the 18 and hopes that he can go get them? No, I think you want to create better chances than that. But right now, when you're not creating those better chances, yeah, now you have something. Now Brooks Lennon can say, okay, I'm going to fire some in here and let him go up and get it. At least it gives you something that the other the opponent yeah. has to respect. Yeah. And that can create more space for that midfield coming forward and just open the game up more. Particularly if Glass does play Adam and Torres together and there's an attacking midfielder because there's people that if, uh, if, if Jan doesn't win the ball, maybe one of those other two guys will win the ball. Or he can knock it down to those guys yeah, or force a save and a rebound, ball. something yeah. like that. And I'm not saying that, that Adam Jan is, is a fantastic striker by any stretch, but I think he has strengths that Atlanta United has not taken advantage of. Last night did twice, and he took advantage of one of them. And that's all you need. Um, Last night's the prime example of why he was brought here, because he was brought here for that role. Yeah. And late in the game, and things are – you don't have the time to try to have the intricate buildup. The intricate buildup isn't happening. And you have to just get a little ugly with it, put in crosses, let him go try to find it. That's, that was the exact role he was brought here for. And I think you see why. He's never had an opportunity to be a starter day in, day out at the MLS level. He has at the USL Championship level, and he had a brilliant season last year for Phoenix. Yep. He's 17 been, goals. Yeah. And, and he's, he can play. I mean, he's, he's not just a, you know, old school, big number nine who can only win that ball. He can play, but that's the part of his game that he brought here to Atlanta to give them something different. You get the goal last night. I hope it builds more confidence in the players around him in him and they feed him more and he gets more of those opportunities. And the good thing about having a guy like that, who's I think six, five or six, seven, something like that is when you can't really string together any passes in the final third, you can put in a cross from 35 yards. And some might, you might end up with a goal. You might end up with a corner kick. Uh, but you're, you're going to end up with something, which is a lot more than what Atlanta United was able to do through the first 75 minutes last night. Yeah, it, it gives you a, a simple option, you know. And, I mean, it, you hear it, all the cliches, you know, we're going route one and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, Sometimes, late in games, there is no time for build-up. There's nothing. And sometimes you're playing a team that won't let you build up. Orlando's midfield, very good, very disruptive. And in those moments, yeah, sometimes you got to get simple. And you got to get simple and look for the cross out wide. You have players who can get opportunities from wide positions. On the right side last night to end that game, Brooks Lennon, Jurgen Dom were causing some havoc over there. On the left side, Jake Mulraney playing left back. That was a gutsy move from Steven Glass when George Bellow came up and had to come out of the match after taking a knock. Mulraney came in instead of Edgar Castillo, who we know can go forward and can contribute, but Mulraney has played as a wing back, not as a left back in a line of four. He did enough defensively in the moments he was called upon, but he gets forward and gives you that ball, and you had John Gallagher in front of him who was making those runs in an open-up space on the left wing, so you had good wide play that created opportunities, Adam John takes advantage in stoppage time, and you get a goal that hopefully can change the mood around here a little bit. All right. What do you have coming up this week, Jason? It's another fantastically busy week, and we should have, knock on wood, 
the MLS schedule coming out at some point, we would hope before Saturday because those are the final games. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> been like we're going to hear at some point this week. I know the Canadian teams are, are a challenge at the moment because of the inability to go back and forth across the border. So are they going to have to have a base of operations in the U.S. Uh, for a long time? Or is, are they going to be able to train in Canada and come back? We don't know yet. And that's probably what the some of the holdup is here anyway. Um, it's going to be a busy week on, on my end. Uh, I'm filling in for uh, the midday show tomorrow on 92.9 The Game. So myself and Chris Goforth will be on from 10 to 2. And we will be talking a lot about this match and a lot about Atlanta United. Uh, Chris Whittingham, the radio commentator for Inter-Miami, will be joining us in the 11 o'clock hour to get ready for that match. And we'll have plenty of soccer down here all week long, um, Tuesday to Friday, 9 a.m., when we start you can listen on soccerdownhere.net you can also watch on our twitch page uh, twitch.tv slash soccer down here all right and as always you can find me on twitter at doug robertson ajc on facebook at atlanta united news now i've uh, posted one story this morning on the possible impact of getting that one point last night and the manner in which it happened i'm working on something now about adam john uh you'll obviously have this podcast and then I'm assuming we'll get uh, Stephen Glass and two players on Monday uh, because they typically make availability two days before. We should also have the finalization of the sale of Pitti Martinez um, at some point this week. We'll have the schedule this week. A whole lot of stuff coming. It's been nice to be back in a routine. Thank everyone for uh, clicking, reading, listening. As always, please subscribe to Soccer Down Here. Please uh, follow the guys at Dirty South Soccer. Um, please follow everybody who provides consistent quality content from Major League Soccer. From Philadelphia with Jonathan Tanningwald to Kevin Baxter in L.A. to Julia Poe in Orlando uh, to Franco Panizo in Miami. All those guys. Follow them. Um, please be safe. Please wear your mask. Please vote. Uh, I don't care who you vote for, just vote. And this is Southern Fried Soccer. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Mm -hmm.